0: Welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I'm the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. Q-W-I-P-S-T-E-R.net, where you can find links to my Twitter feed, my Facebook page, and also a link to my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast. It covers films that are out in theaters or new to VOD or what have you. You can just search for it wherever you're listening to this right now. Just remember that Quipster is spelled with a W instead of a U. Today we're going to be continuing on with our three-part look at the Indiana Jones films of the 1980s. Last week we looked at Raiders of the Lost Ark. I mentioned that was my favorite, still is my favorite film of the 1980s altogether. It does not get better than that as far as I'm concerned. This week we're going to look at a film that is not as good as Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know that. You probably know that. Although there are people that actually prefer Temple of Doom. I don't actually agree with that. But they are there and that's enough for me to give this film a look. I love Indiana Jones, the character I probably would like. As long as Harrison Ford is, Indiana Jones just about any film they want to put out with it. I even liked, with a lot of reservations, The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Although I, you know, will concede it's not a very good movie if I have to look at it objectively. Annie Jones and the Temple of Doom, it came out three years after the first one, 1984. Harrison Ford is back, but a pretty much all new cast other than that. Keith Capshaw, Jonathan Keith Kwan, Amrish Puri, Roshan Seth are in the film. The director is back though, Steven Spielberg. The screenplay is by Willard Huck and Gloria Katz, this time out. You know, while on the whole, I would say that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is not really a horrible film, I do think that it's still a giant leap down from the kind of inspired intelligence that was the driving force behind the very crowd-pleasing Raiders of the Lost Ark. It seems this time around, Steven Spielberg and the rest of the filmmaking crew made a decision to take the scenes that provoked the most audience reaction in Raiders of the Lost Ark and to give us mostly that for two hours straight for the thrills. There's more humor here, there are more stunts, more creepy creatures, and more gore. And if there's a lesson that can be learned here from Temple of Doom, by the way, the Temple of Doom, that was not the original title. It was originally meant to be called Indiana Jones and the Temple of Death. But that last word there, death, was thought to be a turnoff for the family-friendly dollars that they were seeking, so they ended up modifying it somewhat and calling it Doom. Regardless of that, the lesson learned here is that less is more, because the cheap laughs and the pervasive nastiness that runs rampant all over what could have been another winning adventure if it was played with a kind of subtle hand that led its predecessor to box office fortune and award-winning glory were here in its sequel. Now, while it is, I guess, a sequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark, it's actually a prequel. It's set in 1935, a year before Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have story writer george lucas deliberately wanting to showcase an independent adventure that avoids entirely encroaching into the nazi territory that had been so prevalent in the first entry george lucas had originally wanted the setting to be in a scottish haunted house but steven spielberg was fatigued from his experience in making poltergeist he didn't want to revisit haunted house material again at least not anytime soon so the setting was changed to a temple in india Indiana Jones here, played again by Harrison Ford, finds himself in Shanghai at the beginning of this film. It's not really Shanghai. It's not even Hong Kong, as some people think. It's actually Macau that substitutes here. He's in Shanghai on the hunt for a precious diamond, but he ends up getting in over his head. He's chased out of town with his assistant, a young boy nicknamed Short Round, as well as Willie Scott, who is this ditzy blonde nightclub singer that he runs into on this adventure. The three of them have to make this hasty exit, and they end up in the Himalayas because their airplane ends up crashing for reasons that you'll have to see the film in order to understand. Indy and his two friends find themselves getting saved by a starving village. The villagers in India there see their visitors as saviors that are destined to save their children. They prayed they would get these saviors, and here they are. They believe that they're there to help get back those children that have been taken away by these resurrected forces of evil at this formerly abandoned palace. So the trio sets off for the palace in search of these lost children, as well as the sacred stone, and, of course, fortune and glory. Now, as far as the storytelling here, out from these proceedings is the terrific writing of Lawrence Kasdan, the screenwriter for Raiders of the Lost Ark. He was a hot writer at that time he even though he was not relative unknown at the time that he made raiders of the lost ark not only because of the original film but also his work on the empire strikes back and he had become one of the most sought after talents in town he wrote a terrific noirish thriller called body heat as well as this fantastic generation defining dramedy called the big chill both of those films he also directed so he was hot as a filmmaker altogether now kasdan was asked back to write the screenplay for The Temple of Doom, but he actually turned it down. He did not like the premise or the mean-spirited nature of George Lucas's story treatment. He wanted nothing to do with it. So they ended up having to reach out a little bit more to other people. And coming in to flesh out George Lucas's vision for the story are the husband and wife team of Willard Huck and Gloria Katz. Now, these two screenwriters were George Lucas's friends from his days when he was studying film back at USC. They had also worked with him before. They wrote the screenplays for American Graffiti, as well as its sequel, More American Graffiti. And they did some uncredited work on Lucas's crown filmmaking achievement, Star Wars. So they are very familiar with what George Lucas wants, and they worked well with him. Now, as far as their approach to The Temple of Doom, Huck and Katz saw this in the realm of the old Hollywood days. They were big fans of films of the 1930s especially, which is kind of the time period that this film is set. In 1939, there was a film called Gunga Din. It featured Cary Grant and Douglas Fairbanks, and that film really had a lot of influence on where they wanted to go with this one. It also featured adventurers and this thuggy murder cult, and there was a lot of banter and Hollywood glamour in the film. So they really took that approach to the Temple of Doom to try to make it very similar to the kinds of movies that they really enjoyed seeing back in the 30s, and it was really in keeping with the homage to the serials that came out during that time period too, which was the whole impetus for making the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark to begin with. Now, as a side note, I just want to mention here, the character name of Short Round, it kind of followed in the tradition of George Lucas naming his main character, Indiana Jones, on his beloved dog's name. His dog was named Indiana, an Alaskan Malamute. As far as Short Round, Short Round was the screenwriter's dog, Huck and Cats. That dog was named after a character in a favorite movie of Huck, uh, 1951's The Steel Helmet. And the character of Willie was Steven Spielberg's dog's name. So just a little bit of trivia for you there. Now summing up why The Temple of Doom is still a worthwhile watch despite its considerable flaws is pretty easy. I mean, we like the character of Indiana Jones. And with Harris Ford's charisma taking center stage, it's really hard not to be entertained a good part of the time just watching the way that he acts and really in this defining role in his career. The special effects here are just as impressive as the first time around. They really absorb the viewer in with a lot of lavish sights and sounds and sets. It's really easy to watch. The stunt work here is also up to the high standards that were set in Raiders of the Lost Ark. A lot of fist fights, good falls, good choreography. And of course, John Williams provides another memorable score. He adds its own unique flavor with a little bit of Indian flair in addition to the usual Indiana Jones theme. Still, I realize all of that is just bells and whistles. Those aren't the only ingredients that you want if you're going to make a good film. And even with the high production values and this immense amount of talent that were involved in making it, I think where the producers aired in The Temple of Doom is thinking that audiences wanted even more action, more thrills, more scares, more danger than Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think in that process, the subtle touches, the wry intelligence, were replaced by bloated spectacles, a lot of cartoonish situations. A very largely depressing subtext that involves such things as child slavery and these gory masochistic rituals involving hearts getting ripped out of bodies and fiery human sacrifices. All of that really undercuts a lot of the fun and excitement by going full bore into the heaviness. You know, Raiders of the Lost Ark had heavy material too, but it didn't dwell on them, it just kind of accentuated it. And this one really goes deep into that subtext of. You know, depraved humanity and kind of wallows in it for a, a big chunk of this movie. Even the attempts at comic relief here, they run a lot nastier. You have a banquet sequence that's full of gross-out jungle courses on the menu, live snakes with eels inside them, and eyeball soup, and monkey brains, and beetles that they're eating the innards out of and uh, lots and lots of ooey gooey bugs that they end up having to traverse and trample on the way to the inner chasm of the temple's domain while they're on their way to actually watching these uh, gory rituals as well and there's also this hokey quality that runs throughout temple of doom that was mostly missing in raiders of the lost ark those are made infinitely worse by some pretty bad characterizations here most notably with willy who was played here with maximum shrill by future Spielberg wife, by the way, Kate Capshaw, it would become obvious that Capshaw must have stolen Spielberg's own heart, having married her later, although that relationship would have to wait. Spielberg was set to become a father and marry Amy Irving in 1985. He was romantically involved with Amy Irving back in the 70s. He ended up getting reunited while in the production of Temple of Doom, and they ended up getting married for a few years. Now, other actresses besides Kate Capshaw were in consideration, including most notably Sharon Stone. Kind of interesting, the following year, Sharon Stone would kind of come to some fame for being in the knockoff of Indiana Jones the following year, King Solomon's Mines, as well as its sequel, the Alan Quartermain and the Lost City of Gold or something like that. Jonathan Ki Kwan, who is actually billed here at this time as Kihui Huy Kwan, was a refugee from Vietnam. He was not Chinese. He is a Vietnamese-American who accompanied his brother to the casting call. You know, his brother was the one seeking the open casting, but the casting crew were smitten by Kwan's charm and his ability to make fast friends with them. Even though his English was not very strong, they really connected with him and thought, hey, they'll let Spielberg give him a look and... Spielberg, too, was smitten with him. He wanted to use him for the Temple of Doom. The rest is history for him. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom would become one of two Spielberg-produced films in 1984 that would raise the ire of parents groups who felt that, along with his other produced film, Joe Dante's Gremlins, that the PG rating on these films that were kind of marketed towards families was now becoming so broad so as to include much of the fare that were, that they considered to be too violent for most of their preteen children. They were very uncomfortable with exposing their children to a lot of the sadistic violence that these two PG-rated films are full of. So to counter that feeling, the MPAA ended up devising a new rating system for these hard PG efforts that were much more violent, or maybe even more graphically sexual than a standard PG they dubbed this PG-13, and that meant that they thought these films were not hard enough to become R-rated, but they were suitable for older and more inured kids as well as adults. So really, Spielberg, you have him to thank for the PG-13 rating. His gremlins and his Temple of Doom pushed the limit of what PG could show so much. Parents just needed better guidance as far as you know what to expose to their kids. Now Spielberg would go on to describe all of the darkness, all of these this violence that's in this film, this nastiness that is so pervasive in the Temple of Doom, as an attempt to purge his own demons, his dark side, so to speak, out on the screen that were plaguing him at the time, both in his personal as well as his professional life. You know, he was out of his breakup with Amy Irving, even though they reunited during the making of the film. He was still stinging from that. George Lucas himself was writing his story during his divorce from his first wife, Marcia, at the time. And both of these men felt very depressed and on edge and really kind of bleak as far as their future goes. So, you know, that kind of resulted in a lot of the nastiness that you see on the screen, at least according to them. And to stem the tide of the complaints from the parents' groups, Paramount Pictures ran advertisements with a disclaimer that said that the film may be too intense for young children. You know, back when Jaws was released, they also had disclaimers for that film as well. And those parents groups were not the only backlash toward the Temple of Doom at the time of its release. More backlash would come from the depictions of children in peril and abuse of those children for entertainment value, as well as this trite use of a weak and needy female lead and the stereotypical and some would even claim racist depiction of the people of India, both in rural and royal circumstances, that this country is inherently uncivilized and they were inclined to be savage in nature. In fact, the film was shot in Sri Lanka, not in India, even though they did a full scouting of Indian sites that they wanted the film to be set. They ended up having to scrap that because the government in India did not endorse this depiction of their country. They did not want them in the country making this film. They didn't like the notion that the goddess Kali in this film is evil. And the film, when it was eventually released for a time, was banned from even playing there. That ban has subsequently been lifted, but they did not like that at the time. Still, the film ended up becoming a success, despite all of these protests and quibbles and complaints. Lower critical ratings, there was this controversy and the sadistic violence, but yet it would still prove very lucrative for everyone involved it took in over 333 million dollars worldwide that nearly matched the overall take of raiders which made maybe about 15 million dollars more it was only a 28 million dollar budget so a huge smash success it would go on to become the number three film of 1984 domestically it was bested by eddie murphy and his breakthrough performance in beverly Hills cop as well as the juggernaut comedy ghostbusters those were huge films in the United States, but worldwide, it still was the champion. And despite box office success, where George Lucas and Steven Spielberg would take a hit is in the merchandising. The toys and the accompanying product tie ins were severely overproduced. They anticipated they would be much more popular because of what they experienced with Raiders was not to be the case in this particular instance. Maybe it was due to the aftertaste of the film's bleak and disturbing subject matter. People didn't necessarily want all of those toy tie-ins to give to their kids. The aftertaste was not just felt by audiences. Steven Spielberg has always felt a bit uneasy about the film's dark tone and the extremes. When he looks back on it today, he claimed that the third entry, 1989's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, was primarily made as an apology to Indiana Jones fans for his work on The Temple of Doom, even though most of those fans still accept The Temple of Doom as genuinely entertaining. It is still an embraced film, even if it's not up to the standards of the bookend films, at least in their estimation. Uh, Spielberg also did get a wife out of the deal. You know, back in 1991, he became married to the co-star, Kate Capshaw, and is still married today to her. So I'm sure he really wouldn't take back making of this film if he could because that was a life-changing deal for him you know despite all of the kind of negativity that's surrounding this film and some of the criticisms that i have for it i will say there are the elements in the scenes that make the temple of doom worth every penny of the price of admission you know some of those were conceived of for raiders of the lost ark but were ended up cut prior to production but those are still ingeniously conceived you have the lush Busby Berkeley-esque opening musical number that's very striking. That was not meant for Raiders of the Lost Ark. In fact, it was an idea that Lucas, as well as the screenwriters, had for their unfinished script for a film that they were trying to make called The Radioland Murders. That film would actually end up getting made in 1994, but at that time it was not finished and they didn't really know what to do with it. So they ended up using the opening number, Anything Goes, that they planned for that film into this film, but in this case, Anything Goes is sung in all but the chorus in Mandarin Chinese. Pretty ingenious, I think, to adapt it to the circumstances here. The thrilling minecart chase in this film is spectacular. You know, there is some obvious use of miniatures. It's kind of a distraction here, but still, it's a breathtaking piece of cinema for its era. And then it also caps off with this exhilarating rope bridge showdown. It really is a show-stopping finale in many respects. There's a lot to like in between some of those overbearing attempts to entertain with this anything-goes attitude. It delivers on entertainment. It does have a high amount of overhead, though, and that aftertaste, as I mentioned. But if all you expect is to be entertained, I think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is going to give you enough laughs, enough chills, and enough thrills to warrant viewing experience and maybe multiple viewings as long as you're willing to overlook that often distasteful shock and schlock approach to adventure it's still a really fun film I'm giving Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom three stars out of four three stars on my scale means that I do recommend it for people who like this kind of movie if you're a huge Indiana Jones fan obviously you're gonna watch this film you're probably going to enjoy it Harrison Ford fans if you're really into Steven Spielberg's films definitely give this one a watch it's worth your time if for some reason you're one of those rare people that did not really get into that the action-adventure format of Raiders of the Lost Ark maybe you're not into these kind of popcorn flicks this film is a big step down as far as I'm concerned in quality to Raiders of the Lost Ark I don't think it's going to turn you around on the series but I still like all of these movies as I mentioned I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan so for that three stars out of four is what I'm giving Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom Obviously, I did Raiders last week, Temple of Doom this week. Why not? Just continue it on. Ending our trilogy of films, I do realize now that there are four Indiana Jones films because of the more recent Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I'm not going to be reviewing that one, even though it ties in with some of the story that we learned about in the first film because it's just too far out from the films of the 1980s. I'm not going to continue on. And they were actually planning to end it with The Last Crusade. and keep it at that for a long time. I'm going to keep that one off the docket. But Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade will be on the very next episode of Around the World in 80s Movies. Thank you everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you did, I do encourage you to click the subscribe button if you haven't done so already. If you will have your own thoughts, maybe you want to disagree with me on something I said about this film, you can find my contact information at my website. Please go to quipster.net, q w i p s t e r.net. And until next time, thank you so much for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies. Anything goes.